Hey, Schwartz. I'm looking at your credit card bill. Did you really spend 650 bucks on a Randy Savage, Macho Man Randy Savage costume for Halloween? What the fuck is... What are you thinking? What's wrong with you? Seriously. Andy, when you're making 500 bucks a night, you don't spend 600 bucks on, on costumes. Get it together. Hey, yeah. This is Joey. I saw your Craigslist ad for that uh, Macho Man Randy Savage outfit. Yeah, that shit's fake. I fucking know it. I'm not giving you $600 for it, but if you want maybe like 50 bucks, I'd love to take that shit off your hands. Or maybe you want to trade. I got a chainsaw I'm looking to get rid of. We can trade for that. 50 bucks or the chainsaw, you give me the Randy Savage shit. All right, call me back. Let me know if we got a deal. All right. Wow. Wow. Andy Frasco's World Saving Podcast. I don't even know what to explain. Yesterday it was Halloween. And um, anyway, I got first, let's start with we got the man, the myth, the legend. We got Gator from uh, Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. He's my, he's my co host. Hey, Gator. Hey, Andy. <laughs> what happened last night, dude? Oh, my God. So I had this crazy idea because we we're doing a wrestling theme that. Um, we were in Boston. Are you from Boston? Just north of Boston, about an hour north of Boston, southern New Hampshire. So yeah, southern New Hampshire just relates to Boston. But and New uh, Englanders, yeah, whole family was there, which probably is the most interesting part of last <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got an Instagram from your sister saying my brother won the fucking pit. We okay, let's let's backtrack here. Let's backtrack here. So I got I got to. Uh, I got the thankfully open for uh, pigeons. Uh, they sold out House of Blues. Congratulations! By Thank the way. you. Hometown fucking turf for you, Gator. Um, so I thought the idea of like I, you know how I rock Laker shit. So I was wearing a Macho Man Randy Savage outfit, and I wanted to do a typical wrestling call out. So how can I do that? But besides with my boy, who's a diehard fucking Celtics fan, so he rolls in there. Andy Frasco, you did your 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 timing was great. I was, Were you nervous? I was so nervous. If I'm doing any sort of sit-in, I mean, that was by far the most far-fetched <laughs> musical sit-in because sit we weren't really <laughs> playing music. But um, Welcome to my world, dog. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> it was the best one. Um, but yeah, I usually am so in my head and like rehearsing, going over things like crazy. I had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And like you were on you stage just said playing yes. and I go up to Joe and I'm like, Joe. I put my hand on his shoulders, your, tor- your TM, and I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Did he know what we were doing? Oh, he, he had dead set. He, he was like, well, I got these two blow-up mattresses right to your right here, a couple of big body pillows, and uh, got you a wireless mic over there. You're basically going to go on the next drop and uh, cut into the set, just call them out in front of everyone, and uh, yeah, no, it's easy. You just uh, We're going to have just a big blow-up mattress pillow fight crowd surf. While it was like a wall of death, we had the crowd separate, yep. and we charged like it was fucking hippie Braveheart up in this bitch, dude. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It looked like the Flintstones under our uh, mattress, like all the feet <laughs> moving, <laughs> dude. So, like, tell me about that because you guys always stress about. You know, I watch you guys have practice. Like, you rehearse two hours before the show. You I mean it's all new material? How how stressful are these fucking special events? Yeah, I mean, you know. Pigeons, you know, a big part of our of our thing is, you know, just kind of a happy, free, let loose, work with the crowd live show. But, you know, kind of behind that, we really do 
you know, we really do kind of try to take it seriously and, um, you know, really plan stuff and dig deep into stuff, you know, especially with the theme shows. So yeah, it's typically, uh, definitely more of a, uh, intense experience for these big theme shows and uh i think it was almost good timing for us to do it because it just let me let loose let and forget loose a about little bit not think about it <laughs> we tend to overthink things right yeah like yeah. what do you overthink the most gator i mean i mean i i, I was i think i was raised to just kind of you know my parents very kind of you know analytical and plan you know plan heavy and i i love that it kind of it's kind of kind of seeped into my life you know I'm, I'm kind of very so you're a planner you're I'm, OCD always, too? I'm a big planner yeah yeah and i'm always kind of even if i'm going to try to do something in the moment like that i'm always kind of just full game plan playbook but i don't know man last night where'd you learn that from i think it was just kind of how i was raised you know my dad's always making lists and uh you know it was always. I met just, your parents by the way, bad motherfuckers. Dude. Yeah, it was dope. Yeah, so I brought my parents up to meet Andy, and Andy's standing up in the hall, and I'm like, Andy, meet my parents, and my dad just grabs my mom and goes, Linda, don't touch that man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out stealing wives, dog, and moms, dog. The cougar hunter. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would never have sex with your mom. I promise. I promise, Gator. But uh, to see them all happen, Thank dude, you. have you ever, have they seen you ever play a big event where they had Red Rocks? Like, what was it? Yeah, so they're super supportive, man. I started playing music when I was five years old, and, you know, my parents, you know, they worked their asses off to be able to kind of just... What do they do? Um, my mom was a dental hygienist, and then she she basically, you know, she's, she's also an artist. She does um, some crazy art skills on her own. Um, my dad owns a civil engineering company that he started at 20 year, 25 years ago. And now he's, you know, now he's the president and owner. So they're hard workers and they started me early and kind of just put me in, in good positions, which I'm super fortunate for to, you know, kind of succeed. And they, yeah, they come all along to the big ones. They're at Red Rocks. They're at everything. But uh, but that was special. They huh? saw a new side of me last night. That's what they sure. see. What they say afterwards. <laughs> what they, they see you crowd surfing, pillow fighting. Oh like. my gosh! Yeah, they had no idea. I just told them to come early because I might be sitting in with the Frasco man. <laughs> Little did they know that that would be uh, the scenario. But you yeah. Don't, yeah, you have one sister. I have a sister and How, an older brother. Yep. Okay, so you're middle. Yep. So were you ever alone as a kid? No, not, I mean, my brother and I are best friends. He's two, just two years older, too. So You guys play sports together? Music, sports, everything, similar friends. You know, my sister's younger, too, but I was, you know, our siblings super close, super tight-knit, so never really. I mean, it's, you know, as we've gotten older now, you know, she's getting ready to finish college. My brother, he actually lives in New York City, so we're kind of all spread out now, so it's, you know, it's different now, but growing up, we were very super close. So. How hard has changed for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty hard just because going back to kind of that analytical, structured kind of mind, I'm always kind of planning for stuff that when, do, you know, intense change does come, yeah, it's kind of kind of different. Some people can kind of just easily go with the flow. Yeah. I feel like it's harder for myself and others. Okay, so let's talk about that. So you're newly single man, right? Yeah. Okay. I hope you. I hope you're dick flourishes in the next uh <laughs> next year and a half but appreciate let's talk, that during this process of you how long with you with your chick for i mean there was a little break between but overall about eight years eight years so like that's a big change right now yeah. being on the road 
not having someone to call or fall back on. Like, right. how do you, how do you, uh, how do you, how are you approaching life right now? Yeah, I mean, on the, the road, it's the it's the change. This is actually kind of our big first tour as a single man. So yeah. you know, it's going to be a change for me. But yeah, you know, it's all the little things. You know, the calls, the little texts, and everything, the routine stuff. So what you, are you doing to like to find a new clutch right now? I don't know, man. I just like when I'm home, it's different. You know, when I'm back in Baltimore, because you know, I'm just, I'm just really f- focused hard on music and just work hard, play hard. Like is kind of my thing. And when I'm home, I love just studying drums and playing drums all day. And I love having. I was an athlete too, and I love that competitive like. I want to be the fucking best. Mm-hmm. Like, not in a cocky, arrogant no. way. And I know I'm not the best. That Larry like, Bird. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Like, when I go out to play at night, like, like I want to be, like, the best drummer at that time, like, I can fucking be. You yeah. know? Like, I, I, I really love that competitive mindset. So, like, when I'm home, I'm usually just, I've been really trying to just hammer down on on career stuff with, with, with drums and writing some new stuff. Does that and, stress you out to be the best? Um, I think with certain things growing up, like sports and stuff, it could really stress you out. When you get to a point with music and you realize how many, you know, how many fucking players there are, you know, you kind of have that reality check at some point. Like when I just, start, when I first started touring and stuff, not that I ever thought I was better than I am, but you know, you right when I you start to delve into that scene and meet all these players, follow them, and you're like, holy shit, like, there whoa. are some monsters out and there. And it's like an ego check, right? Right. When yeah, you but think I, you're the shit, yeah. and I like I like that shit. I like it though. Like, I love that dr- kind of competitive drive. Not that like, in a sense, to beat someone individually, but just to be like. All right, I, I can do that. I'm gonna do that. That's sick, but I, I'm gonna do that. You know, like and do it better. You know, yeah. I like that drive. We always talk about what we like about our careers. What don't you like about our careers? I mean, it's funny. Like, I've always like compared. Like, I don't know when when you sit back and compare like jobs and career paths and stuff. I feel like the shit balances out. Like in a sense that like. Yeah, like I'll have, you know, a lot of friends will be like, oh man, like it's so like, like I've, like I wish I could do what you're doing. Like it's so sweet. Like it's so like, you know, you're just kind of doing your thing, playing crazy shows every night. And yeah, but there are a lot of like balances, like, you know, because you're being, you're away from home, you know, you see your family a couple times a year, your friends a year, as opposed to some people, you know, they may be wishing for that job, but they're, you know, they're able to kind of, be with their friends where they grow up and kind of have more freedom. It seems like we have a ton more freedom, but... We don't. We're on a schedule. We, yeah. It, Which we kind of like, right? We like schedules. Right. And I, it's worth it. I love it. But it, stuff balances out. Like, it's it's like, yeah, I can do my dream job, but to do it, you'll have to, you know... Sacrifice. Sacrifice a lot of stuff, which, you know, I'm in... I'm. I like this, you know, I'm fine with the sacrifices just because I, I want to, I feel like this, this is what, is what I need to do. Yeah. And want to do. Yeah. This is what you want. And it's time, you know, it's now's the time. Yeah. We got to stop thinking about the past and the, the future, right? Yeah. Is that loneliness? I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely a part of that. 
I mean, I know, I mean, it's different for everybody. What I think it, you can have feelings of, I think one can feel lonely, but not be lonely. Yeah. Like, I know I have like a great support system and everything. And, uh, like, I never feel like I'm in a place where I'm lonely in the sense that I don't have anyone to fall back on. What about moving to a town for your work? You know, right. You know, you've, you've moved everything. You did, you dive, you dove completely into this dream. That's what I mean. It's tough, right? It's, yeah, it's tough. Cause is it hard to find friends when you move into a city at 30 years old? How old are you, Gator? Yeah, I mean, 28. So, 28. yeah, it's different. And then, I don't know. There's so many facets to it. Because, like, it's great meeting people at shows. But it's also great, like, meeting people outside of, like, a music yeah. environment, too. But it's kind of weird how they're, like, separated. I don't know. Yeah. It's it, interesting. Yeah, it's tough. Do you wish you had more friends outside of music? I think about that a lot. I don't, I don't, I don't wish I had more friends. I think I was just, it would be like, I mean, in an absolute dream world, it would be great to like be just physically closer to your, to your friends and family. You know, I'm from, you know, New Hampshire and live in Baltimore, but in no way, in a negative way, do I like, you know, that's just one of those things. Yeah. It would be amazing to be them near them, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice easily for 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 the music yeah and you know and it comes down to like how deep is the loneliness you know if it's just like you said is it a emotion or is it true loneliness right i I think that totally makes sense yeah you know and i'm obviously no expert but you know i there are some people which is you know when they really do need someone it's it's harder for some people they might not have a good support system is it hard for you to ask for help oh that for sure I mean, on what? I don't know. I just, I'm not really a, emotions. A, yeah, it's fucking hard, dude. I don't yeah. get it either because we're on the road. I like, I kind of think like, why do we love being on the road? You know, we right. think about this because, like, okay, past the music and stuff. Because it's for eight hours, we're in the van with our friends, right? Yeah, and they got to be your friends. If you're not your friends, it's gonna be fucking miserable. It's huge, it, you know. So, how important is friendship in this band? It's huge, man. Like, we're really tight knit and close. And as you said, like when we were hiring crew guys and stuff, it's not just who can like be good. The majority of it is like, can I live with this person? Because mm-hmm. yeah, you want them to you want them to perform and you want them to do their their job. But the vast majority of it, I mean, we get as you know, I mean, we get to venues at eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. and set up for set up and sound check for ten hours, and then. With with more hours of breakdown for our two hour show, yeah, you know? yeah it's yeah. like that classic meme. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's you got to be able to so live process, with the person. The yeah. process of that that setting in and setting out, it ha- you got to love that part too. Yeah, absolutely. What do you want to be remembered by? Oh, man, you know that's a that's such a tough question. Because like when you're going into the when you get into the music career and everything, I don't know. I feel like there's all these like instant kind of goals that come up, but as you get further along, I don't know. Like I want to. I don't know, man. I want to hey. be the best, but like I know I'm not. You know, I don't know. It's hard. I just want to kind of continue to do my thing, and just exp- be and be able to maintain what we're doing because I'm so blessed to be able to just like. You know, we work our ass off, but we're you still do. having a you blast. You deserve this. And 
I just want to kind of keep feeding the beast and like I'm always big on perspective and just kind of you know keep in sight of how fortunate we are and you know not letting that get carried away and always to keep pushing and if things are good then push harder and you know can it easily get carried away when all when you get everything taken care of now like you have a sound guy you got Kevin fucking doing shit. Oh, man. You know, you got a tour bus. I mean, it could be easy to get jaded and say, fuck all these people, you know, and just right. like be selfish. Like, yeah. you got to work on that shit every day, right? You got to stay grounded. I mean, I still go and I'll still set up my drums with the crew and, you know, I'll go bring the crew out to breakfast and stuff before before we set up and stuff. You got to you gotta keep, you know, you can't just be, you know... Some days you can sleep till sound check, yeah. but you can't just be, you know, partying so much that you're just waking up, sound check, eat dinner and play because yeah. you don't want your life to just get into groundhog day yeah. mode, you know, like. And it could be easily get so easily because, you know, there's times where we might, you know, might party hard one night and then the next day if you have a show, it's just kind of like that, you know, if you don't get to sleep till five or six a.m. and then you sleep and wake up instant sound check eat and play yeah you know it's whatever but like part of it is like did that day even happen you know yeah. and it, you know on the Does other that hand make you sad when you look back yeah I'm, a, I'm more so feel i mean that isn't really i've never really had been like affected at a show or i couldn't play because i'm like so hung over but there's you know days obviously where you're a little tired than other days but i more so think of the fans because like i used to be a huge music fan everyone is and yeah. you know if i could go to like one show a year like that was like the highlight of my year yeah, man yeah, yeah. so like when we play like even littler shows like i try to put myself in the crowd shoes and be like some people be like yeah let's just quickly play this show in kansas so we can get it on you know like yeah. no that two hours like those people are probably like which we're grateful for, for like fucking looking forward to that yeah. shit for a long time like yeah. And that's what kind of keeps me just able to like throw down 100% every night, or at least try to. So. Fucking look at you, Gator. You got the confidence of a gazelle. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I don't think, I don't know. I think I just made that up. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, you got a good head. I, I got to thank your mom and dad because I think they really shaped that too. So yeah, shout out to Mama Bear and Papa Bear, even though he's Celt they're Celtic fans. It's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> nah. I'm it. But, um, you know, Everyone, Gator's a newly single man. Let's find him some love. If we can't find him long-term love, let's find him short-term love. <laughs> <laughs> Gator, and you're a good guy, and you're going to find love, and I'm just proud to be your friend, so oh, I love you, bro. I love you, dude. Thank and you go so Lakers. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's go listen to the interview, and let's just uh, be friends. Go hang out. Hell yeah, man. All right, bud. Love I'll see you brother. later. And we're fucking here. Oliver. <laughs> this fucking Pat is sick, dude. Dallas. T I, what's, tell me the where we The secret hideout. Th dude, I would never leave this place. <laughs> to uh, paint a picture, he, you walk, I walked in. I, I was late from the airport, and uh, I run into this place. I'm like, oh, God, it's like a little compound. I walk into this com compound, and it, it feels like I am in your brain right now with all these, like, there's like, how many t how many motorcycles do you have? A few dozen. A few dozen. More than that. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, and the colors here, it's like, it's a true artist, like, palace. Like, you, you've had this place since 99. Well, or, next door since 99. And then you rebuilt this. Then I just took this space over three years ago. Wow. 
I need to hear your story, man. So, <laughs> it's a lot of different stories. There's a lot of different ones, but like growing up in Fort Worth, like, was there an art community or did you build this tattoo community out here? I would say that Fort Worth and Dallas are very art minded cities. And they always have been. There's been a big art culture. There's a lot of museums. There's a lot of great culture in the art community here. And there's always been a lot of money and people well, like with oil money, money. Just Texas money and people with money to invest in artistic structures and in architecture and in museums and in people that buy art and people that, you know, it's it's just a, it's a, it's a, been a booming metropolis my whole life you know the dallas fort worth area metroplex i mean it's a pretty big area you know you got dallas and fort worth the airport in the middle and then you've got literally three or four dozen cities small cities that sprinkle this big metropolitan area that is just now since the 90s till now has just become one big major area you know, people say they're from Dallas, but they really live in Mesquite, or they yeah. really live in Garland, or they really live in Red Oak, or they really live in Waxhatchee, or they really, you know, there's like just countless towns and cities that are now just basically DFW. Yeah, and it kind of, Dallas, I grew up in LA, so like, it's how spread out Dallas is, it really reminds me of how LA is, and how like, everyone says they're from LA, but they're really from fucking yeah, you know, Encinita. Yeah, Encinita, exactly. <laughs> like or Topanga Canyon or yeah, wherever they're. That's at. where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, how does it building a community and like this art? Because Deep Ellum in the nineties was, was the shit. Was the shit right? And what were you? Was the tattoo community like kind of parallel with the music community back then, or like mm, what was it? Because now it's no, a bunch the of tattoo, tattoo community shops. in in the in the late eighties and or you know was just pretty much still just biker tattoo shops you know there wasn't there wasn't hip young kids doing tattoos it was the old biker dude doing tattoos yeah um deep ellum was very punk rock late 80s early 90s um i spent all my time going to deep ellum as a teenager either going to skateboard or going to see punk rock shows or um in 89 early 90 i moved i lived in deep ellum and i've pretty much been in deep ellum ever since um and then i've had 96 i opened up elm street tattoo and elm, deep elm has been many different neighborhoods over the last two decades you know it's and now it's the most bustling booming that it's ever been and it's a very different deep elm than it was 20 years ago do you think gentrification fucks up the art scene i don't because I think that the more, like for an art, for an art like tattooing, it's it's a business. Mm -hmm. So the more people there are to do tattoos on, the more tattoos you're going to do. The more people that are spending money on tattoos, and the more gentrification that comes into town, and more tattooing is acceptable, the more accessible you're going to be for people to pay you money to get big tattoos. So I mean, it all. It feeds itself. And then as far as like underground art, um, if there's nothing to hide from, then there is no underground. You yeah. know, if it's just like in the in the in the late eighties, nobody knew what Deep Ellum was. So the underground art scene, it was just nothing. It was just whatever. People did whatever they wanted. And there was nothing to be underground from. Yeah. Now that there's more 
you know, you gotta, you can't play hide and seek by yourself. No, it's You true. know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you want to be hardcore underground, you have to have some light to hide from. So the more light there is, the more shadows there are for underground people to hide in. So what about, was that the goal always, like, in the beginning to like have this underground umbrella with all your friends and all this community or did you always have this big picture of branching out now you do ink masters and fucking you got cheap thrills i mean like honestly this- for me all i ever wanted to do was just party a bunch and do tattoos we'll and get ride to motorcycles that. yeah and then whatever happened along the way happened along the way yeah you know things things just worked out i guess you could say what made you want to go sober? Well, back in my younger years, I graduated high school. I instantly got into drugs. What kind? LSD mostly. Okay. Um, got into a fair amount of trouble with the law. Ended up in jail a fair amount of times. You know, the first time you get it, first time you get busted, it's like no big deal at all. They just let you out. But Texas is fucking crazy. These cops are crazy out here, no? Uh, I would say yeah, but I'm just saying in general, first time you get busted. For whatever it is, stealing or doing drugs or whatever you get busted for, you're a kid, you go to jail, they just literally just let you out. Be like, okay, don't do it again, you'll come back to jail again, and then you go to jail again, and like, oh, you're in jail again, we're going to give you six months probation. And then you're like, okay, cool, and then you get busted again, and they're like, oh, now we're going to give you more probation. And then you're like, okay, cool, and then you get busted again, and they're like, okay, we're going to give you a lot of probation. And then finally, you get busted again talking about myself uh-huh. and then they're like you're going to jail for a while how many months or years I went, um what I happened got, what i got the... pretty lucky i got charged with possession of lsd which was a fa- which was a felony and it wasn't my first felony and i was looking at a, a long-term sentence and i was still i was 20 years old right before i turned 21 and i got the opportunity to go into a rehabilitation program which is basically like being in the military and jail at the same time. It's like this prison boot camp program, yeah. like scared straight kind of program. And it was insane and it was awesome. And I got out and I never did drugs again. Oh, so what they te- <laughs> Oh my God. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So like you got you got arrested like four or five times. Were you just in, like a punk kid or what? Like what I mean what was we were just partying and doing drugs. What but it was just L S D. What what a tri- what fascinated you about L S D? Um, well, I always love music, um, and I love art, and I was always inspired by MC Escher and, and Salvador Dali, and those are my two favorite things as a child growing up, and then as soon as I did LSD, it all made sense, and it just seemed like the first time I ever took LSD, about an hour and 45 minutes into it, I literally had an epiphany that like this is what my life was supposed to be. This is what my life had been missing. Up until now, LSD. That's what I mean. Now I'm home. Now I found this place and I just basically partied and did drugs for the next year and a half and then ended up in jail and sobered up. And was like, okay, that was fun. Now I'm not going to go to jail anymore. Yeah. So were you doodling and stuff? Like, well, I was drawing, I was tattooing. I was, when I was still on drugs, I was tattooing out of the house, tattooing my friends, tattooing myself right out of high school. Um, always painting, always drawing, did murals all over Deep Ellum. At what age? Um, 1920. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> so you're making murals. You're 1920. Like what? 
did you have a good like family background? Like your parents were, were they supportive of the whole I want to be an artist dream, or was it kind of like a? Yeah, my mom was one hundred percent supportive um, of me being an artist. I drew from my earliest memories, and I was always encouraged to be an artist and to paint from my from my mom and my grandmother. Um, and it just when I started tattooing. It was mostly just because I wanted some. T- I wanted tattoos, and I had an older punk rock friend that had some tattoos, and he said, "Hey, just told me the quick little recipe on how to make a homemade machine." So we did it, and then, you know, everybody wanted tattoos, so we all tattooed each other. And then, I, when I got out of jail, I got a tattoo magazine and saw that people were doing this for a job, and that's when I was like, "Well, maybe I could do this for a job." And then I, were you tattooing in prison? Um. I tattooed in jail, in county jail, with just like little hand poke type things. But when I was in the boot camp program, there was n- there was absolutely zero time or accessibility to do do anything other than march, do push ups, work in the fields, and you know you're. It was a crazy barrage of being in this boot camp program. Do you but, think? Do you think LSD? Um, when you were drawing on LSD and like, do you think it was starting to create your brain into the colors you wanted to bring into this world? Cause this, this fucking place you have here is a fucking LSD trip, dude. It's lit. <laughs> I will say this real fast about my, about the house. Everything in the house is stuff I dreamed up. You know, when we first took over this warehouse, I started like thinking about how I was going to build this house in here. And every night I would dream something and then wake up and be like, we're going to do this. You know, I was going to dream, I dreamed up all these things, you know. Um, when you were a kid? No, here. When we, when, like, three years ago, we, I got this warehouse, and I was like, I'm going to build a house in here. And then I would, like, one morning, like, the van is in the living room, right? It's in the wall. There's a van <laughs> in the wall. And I tell people, like, oh, man, my house is crazy. I got a van in the wall. I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, well, in the wall, there's a van when you're in the living room. The van's in the living room. And then people are like, what do you mean? try to explain it to them. Then they come over here and they're like, there's a fan in the wall. I was like, exactly what I said, you know, but anyway, this is my girlfriend's fan. Uh-huh. It was hers in high school. Yeah. She got out of high school. Her dad kept the van six or seven years ago for her birthday. He fixed it up and gave it back to her. She had it here. We rode around a town in it. We partied in it a little bit. It's a cool van. Started having mechanical problems. It oh, so bro- you were rolling this thing yeah. with the shack carpet? Yeah. So the van broke down. The van was in the parking lot for like two years and it just needs so much work because it's an old van. And uh, one morning, one night, I had a dream, and I woke up in the morning, and I was like, "Audra, I got an idea. What if you could party in your van all the time, but you never had to pay any money to fix it or keep it running?" She's like, "What do you mean?" And I drew a sketch of the van in the wall because from I had a dream that we were in the van and we were in the living room. The next thing you know, it was like boom, boom, boom. I was like, "There now, there's a van in the wall." And then I had a dream that we were at the house and then we were playing mini golf and then now there's a mini golf course in the hallway, you know, stuff. So dreams, it's just dreams coming can, coming true. Can we go back into dreams? Because like, is that with art too? Are you, do you, when you're making illustrations, when you're thinking of like your next opus or whatever, is it what you've dreamt? Or like, how do you get inspired? When I mean, you're I, do, definitely, when you're pounding I definitely daydream and fantasize a lot of the time, like if any, if I'm riding my motorcycle, I just like, I'm in my head or, you know, sleeping, I'm dreaming. Or if I'm just sitting around road trips, you know, and just 
just kind of like think up shit. Some shit's preposterous and never going to happen. And sometimes you dream up a van in the wall and you can actually put a van in the wall. Yeah. But as far as like, I think that I attribute a lot of that ability to manifest ideas to my youth and taking LSD. Because when I started taking LSD as a kid, it just opened up a lot of things inside your mind, you know, a lot of thought processes and a lot of, you know, things that just link together that never linked together before. And you see it in other artists that have done, you know, Picasso and did a bunch of hallucinogenics and, you know, they start to see things in a different way. And then once now I don't need to take LSD anymore. You know, I did a bunch when I was a kid and now I can, I know what it's like. I can think like I'm, I can see things and think about what it would be like if I was on LSD or I can listen to Pink Floyd and understand Pink Floyd. If you say you like Pink Floyd, but you've never taken LSD, my argument is you've never heard Pink Floyd. <laughs> but that's the same thing with art? I mean, a lot of things, yeah. Like, you look at, some people look at Salvador Dali paintings, you know, and they just like, I don't understand, I don't get it. Why yeah. does the elephant have long legs? Makes no sense. It just looks like scribble. But if you've taken LSD and you look at Salvador Dali paintings, it's just like, you understand. What do you love about music and art when it when when you listen to music um on LSD or when you used to it was it the same feelings like when you're looking at art 100%. What were you listening to? I mean, when I was I was I'm a child of the 70s. I was born in 71. I grew up, you know, with parents that listened to the Beatles and the Doors and the Who and you know Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and you know I love all that music from my childhood and so when I got into when I got into drugs that was like my go-to music you know because that music was spawned from that in in that mindset so it just totally makes sense um like you don't you don't take LSD and listen to Hank Williams <laughs> you know what I mean yeah like I love Hank Williams I love Hank. I love Hank Williams I love Merle Haggard but that's not like LSD type music yeah you know, I listen to Hank Williams now and I I kind of like, man, I want to like, when I get old, I want to start drinking whiskey. Yeah. You know, so I can sit around, drink whiskey and listen to Hank Williams because that's kind of like, that's, that makes sense to me. You Were know? you ever a drinker? I drank for the th for two and a half years. Oh, no, back fucking track here. You didn't take drugs after anything. You went cold turkey everything right after boot camp? Yeah. what they do to scare the shit out of you? Tell me what happened there. There's well, got to have been I, something. I was in jail, and there was Did kids. Did someone beat you up? There was no chance to get beat up. I'm telling you, in this boot camp program, you're, you're watched 24-7. You only get to sleep five hours a night. You wake up and do push-ups. They like come in the room with a bugle. <laughs> Jump up. Everybody does push-ups. Then you got to go outside and you got to march. And then they take you out into the field and you pick turnips. And then they bring you back in and they feed you lunch. And then they take you back out and then you march. And then you got to do push-ups. And then you got to do – it's like nonstop. You got to like polish your boots. You go work out in the field every day. And then at night you got to polish your boots back to a shiny boot shine again. Like it's – it's very intense. But Did you like was, it, though? You know, I can have fun doing anything. And if I was going to be in boot camp, I was going to do it the best I could. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to make the best of whatever situation you're in. 
I think. Is that you know? the philosophy that you have with whatever Everything. you do, with art yeah. too? I mean, if... I would just say at all times, you got to make the best of whatever situation you're in. Yeah. If you can't get out of it, like if it's not a good situation, then leave. Uh-huh. If you can't leave, make the best of it. Have you, you had any I mean? situation where you felt like you can't leave it? Uh, like tattooing or... Uh, do you feel trapped? I mean, now, in my life now, I'm pretty much in a situation where I can just do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. Like, if I don't want to do something, I just don't do it. Yeah. You know, I don't have kids. Like, what's your waiting list for, like, for someone to put, for you to put art on them? Well, I don't book very far in advance. So, there's just people email, and they get put on a waiting list, have a guy that answer the emails, and whenever I schedule days, he just books them in. Oh, cool. So, today, I did some tattoos. I, I scheduled... The last three days of tattooing, like five days ago. Yeah. Put days in my calendar, texted Barbarino, said, hey, I got three days in my calendar. He booked him up. The guy I tattooed today, like he emailed like four days ago and said, hey, I want to get tattooed. And then, so when Vinny's going through emails of pe- people on two-day notice, mm-hmm. a lot of people, I can't do it, I can't do it. So he keeps going down and he finds this guy. It's like, hey, you want to get in? So this guy only waited four days. Yeah. The guy tattooed yesterday been on the email list for six months. Oh, wow. It just kind of... Just what it work of the draw or whatever. Yeah, sometimes I book a couple weeks in advance. Sometimes I book... Sometimes, you know, I'm going to Little Rock on Friday to tattoo at a shop. And today I put a post on Instagram. I'll be at Little Rock on Friday, one day only. Who wants to get tattooed? And then today I got some emails for Little Rock, so I'll book those people. So can we talk about that artist community? Like everyone, like... So do you travel a lot? To do these like conventions and stuff, is it? How is this? I'm I'm very fascinated with how like the tour, like say the touring. Yeah. Of well, there is a, there is a lot of tattoo conventions. I do do a lot of traveling and tattooing. I go to other cities and work at other shops. It's called guest spots, you know. And then there's basically nowadays there's a tattoo convention every weekend somewhere in the country. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's used to be like five, six, seven, eight conventions a year. In the world, in the in the eight, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Now, literally, there's one every single weekend. So you go to you need to go to certain ones. You go to ones where you know people in that city, or you go to ones where the, you know the guy that's putting it on, or whatever. But I mean, I travel pretty much nonstop. We're starting a tour next week with Ben with Ben Nichols from Lucero. We call it the Bike Riders Tour. It's like the seventh year we've done it. We ride our motorcycles. I put all my tattoo gear in a tour pack. He straps his guitar to the back of the bike. We ride to a town, pull in a tattoo shop. I do two tattoos. We go to the bar. He sets up, play a show. We party all night, wake up next morning, ride our bikes to the next city. I do a couple of tattoos, go to the bar. He plays a show, party all night, get on our bikes, ride the next morning, and just do like 10 cities in two weeks. Oh, shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Yeah. So you and Ben, you're cruising. He's doing like acoustic gigs. He's, yeah. not, he's not bringing like John just C a, or he anybody. Brings, he brings a guitar. That's it. Acoustic guitar. And you, is, that, is that like one of your best boys? Yeah. So I mean, this, they're my favorite re- band Lucero, for sure, and I am like the number one Lucero fan. What do you love about them? I mean, I, it's great music. Yeah, and the and I mean, I'm I'm I love music that's lyrically driven, you know. And Ben, I think Ben's one of the greatest songwriters of our time. I think he's fucking amazing. Yeah, and like you go to the Lucero show, and everybody in the crowd is your best friend. Yeah, and everybody in the crowd is screaming every single word like it's like it's their lifeblood. You know, yeah. and it's just the best. Dude, Lucero. See, I'm not, 
as close with Ben as I am with John C. John, John C's, C's the shit. My fucking John guy. C. Stubblefield. Dude. Like, because, like, how do you, like, when you're sober, do you have, have like, urges to, like, you know, get off the wagon? I don't. No? I got a weird thing going on, man. I just, like, I, I got sober because I decided I wanted to do something. And I just... And I just, just, I knew I wasn't going to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish if I was fucked up. What was that? What do you want to accomplish? I just want to, I want a motorcycle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wanted to travel. I wanted to, you know, who knows? I had no idea what I really wanted when I was 21 years old. Got out of prison when I was 21. And I was just like, I just wanted to do things. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do them if I was in jail again. You know, all these other kids that I was in jail with, they were like, man, when I get out of jail, me and my homies are going to fucking run the hood. My uncle's fucking got a hookup and we're going to fucking steal cars or sell drugs or fucking, you know, had all these gangster plans. And I'm just like, y'all are going to be back in jail. (laughs) And they're like, oh, it don't matter if I go to jail because my uncle's runs the fucking shit or my cousins are in. I have all my family, you know, and they're like, you know, it's like people, they're just... Get institutionalized, and they and it just becomes part of their scene. It's just like whatever. And I was just like, dude, when I get out of jail, I'm gonna get a job. I'm gonna buy a motorcycle. I'm gonna ride around, and I'm gonna have a good time. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, and they're like, oh, you're crazy. And I was like, man, I'm not going to go to jail anymore. Yeah. And I was just like, and I just made up my mind to quit drinking, quit doing drugs, and I did. Super young. Yeah, especially through this, like, is the lifestyle? I mean, a lot of my a lot of my friends, man, that I was partying with and doing drugs with, like, they did not quit, and a lot of them are dead. Yeah, and a lot of them, you know, you know, didn't get took them ten more years to get sober. Yeah. you know, and my father had a was a had a big problem with drinking and drugs, and he got sober. couple of years before i did oh so you saw like, yeah when you're growing up you saw so, how fucked up it got him and so w- as soon as i when i was in the last time i when i was in jail i was in jail for seven months and i was in jail seven months yes. for lsd yeah how they much did you started out of 20 you? years what the fuck for lsd yeah in texas yeah so it was my third felony offense for lsd yeah and, but I, I, my dad had gotten sober a couple years before. And so when I got sober, when I sobered up in jail and started to evaluate and realize what was going on, um, I thought to myself, I was like, man, now I know this is, I have this problem. This is literally a genetic disorder. Like I am addictive. You know, I get addicted to things. You know what I mean? If I like a certain Drink, I will drink that drink five times a day, mm-hmm. every single day, seven days a week for years and years. You know what I mean? Just yeah. get, I have a very addictive personality and I saw that and I was like, I don't want to be trying to get sober 10 years from now. Yeah. You know? And I realized that some people, some people can have a couple of drinks and that's all. I never drank just to have a few drinks. Yeah. I never drank because I liked the flavor of it. I never drank yeah. whatever. I got fucked up. And then when I did acid, we did a shitload of acid. Like what's the most acid you've done? And like what was it, any crazy stories? I mean, I got too many long crazy stories. Give me one. Too much of like LSD. this is too much. Um 
Well, when I first started, when I first took LSD, I told you real quick is instantly, this is what my life is supposed to I've like, I found my calling or whatever. So me and my buddies, we started selling drugs. Like within a week, I was like. Started selling L. Yeah. For everything. Within a week, I saved up. I took my paycheck and I bought a sheet of acid. You know, five, 100 hits. Yeah. And I took them up and I sold them for five bucks a hit. You know what I mean? And then I took that money and I bought more and then i took that money and bought more and within about six months me and my two buddies were in business and we were selling a shitload of acid and making a shitload of money and just taking acid every single day every for, day in, oh yeah in high school were you no this is right after i graduated so you didn't go to college oh no so you just went straight into um, I'm, I'm, I, I did go to i did enroll in the art institute of dallas and i did show up a few times but that was it yeah um did you grow up well off Mm, I would say we were middle class. But like, not struggling too hard? Mm, I mean, we didn't have extra money. You know, if I wanted a, a new skateboard, I had to mow lawns to get a skateboard. Yeah. You know, stuff yeah. like that. We didn't, have cable, we didn't have cable TV. We didn't have stuff like that. But we were, okay. I mean, well, I was never starving. Yeah. If I wanted, uh, like, I started skateboarding. And so, like, you wear out skate shoes pretty quick. Mm -hmm. I'd have to, like, do chore, do, do mow lawns to make some money to buy skate shoes because, you know, my mom's like, I can't buy you, yeah, you fuck them shoes up. every two weeks. Yeah. Um, but, uh, going back to this acid. Going back story. to the acid. Were um, you skating here he heavy? Were you addicted to skating? Yeah. I skated from, I started skateboarding when I was 15. I raced BMX and then I got, um, busted stealing bicycles i was a i was a troubled youth um me and my buddies that raced race bmx together On we l was, too no this weird. is before l this is like oh. 14 years old oh, okay we were racing bmx and we would steal bicycles so we could take the parts off them and make our race bikes better and so i got busted stealing bicycles and so my parents decided that this bicycle was a bad influence on me. And these people that I was riding bicycles with were bad influence. So they took away my uh, bicycle from me. And so then I got a skateboard. And then the skateboard community is much less upstanding than the BMX community. I guarantee you. <laughs> uh, so the, all, my, all through high school, you know, I was skateboarding. And, you know, that's where I met all the real punk rock. Fuck, got introduced into punk rock music and met all the crazy old high school dropouts that were skateboarding in the ditches. And who are you listening to? Uh, oddly enough, one of my favorite bands growing up was Dinosaur Jr. Oh, Jay Maskus. Yeah, That's another the Brian band. Dinosaur Jr. was my favorite. Uh, but the big band. I mean, you remember Firehose? Mm -hmm. Mike Watt, the best. Hold on, no Firehose. I don't know Firehose. Firehose. Who's that? Um, they were. Late 80s, early 90s, early 90s punk band, uh, late 80s and early 90s. But the guy named Mike Watt was the bass player. And he's, uh, you know, he's one of the, he's like the guy that they say is the best bass player ever in the world. He's like the guy that flees as the best bass player back then. But uh, you should check it out. I will. I will, definitely. Um, but got into that, got, and I was straight edge through high school skateboarding straight edge skateboarded all day every day didn't care about anything other than skateboarding as soon as i got out of high school that's when i tried lsd and decided that that's my new life purpose 
Did LSD every day for a little while. Ended up in jail. Got sober. That's the rest. Yeah. yeah. So, what? I just. This is so. Are you? Do you love pain? Is that something? Pain? Yeah. I'm the biggest crab baby there is. Really? It's so weird because you do all these fucking extreme sports and you're fucking tattooing. <laughs> I mean, like biking. Getting tattooed. Getting tattooed, man. I cr- I scream and cry every time. Really? Yeah. Still? Yeah. Really? I'm a crab baby. I don't get tattooed anymore. I'm done. I'm full. Yeah. I got no more space. Oh my god. That's it's just crazy. I'm not gonna to tattoo me. my face. No, you won't. So like, I, I'm very curious about this because like, like, how do you like? You are very. You figured out how to get through your addiction and and put it somewhere else. If it is like you just got to get addicted to something else. Yeah, that's what it is. So like, what? Like, I heard some story. Yeah, you did Guinness Book of World Records for. I did four hundred and twenty tattoos. I did four hundred fifteen tattoos in twenty four hours. The fuck made you do that? Well, when I was a kid, I always loved uh, the Guinness Book, <laughs> and so then I just. Figured, hey, I could do. I'm a, I'm a fast. I'm one of the fastest tattooers. I can do a bunch of tattoos, and so I just said, hey, let's do it. Not on drugs, nothing. You just straight, lots of caffeine, lots of caffeine. Because I did. I'm. I signed up for the Guinness Book of World Records too for most crowd surfs in a consecutive year. Oh yeah, yeah. I did 256 in one year. Uh, yeah, I do it every night. That's like my thing. Like I'm yeah. gonna crowd surf Red Rocks. That's my big my big goal yeah for my band like we're a punk rock band in a funk outfit so like i'm i'm totally into fucking energy yeah and what what music brings are you on drugs now i uh i microdose uh psilocybin okay so i i take like a one gram a day yeah just for my depression i was like you know when you live on the road so much like how do you how do you get through this loneliness you know, I, I ask a lot of musicians that. Do you do you ever feel like you're lonely doing this job? Um, I am not lonely. No, I purposely surround myself with many people all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a loner. No, you know, some people are like I'm a loner. I'm like I am not a loner. Like I'm the guy. If I'm if there's nothing to do, I'm like I find somebody. Hey, what are you doing? Let's do this. You know what I mean? Like I'm like always will. I got a pretty good friend base. I got, I'm a friendly guy. Yeah. You know, I make friends everywhere I go. I've got friends, whoever, and I will always find somebody to hang out with. I very seldomly do anything by myself. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm just not into, I mean, I've never had any kind of like depression issues, but I just, I do, I do uh, crave interaction at all times. You're like a fucking unicorn. <laughs> Seriously, a lot of people have to deal with this stuff and they become artists for different reasons to suppress their feelings or like what there's you had no angst growing up as a kid, nothing. I mean, I had a pretty good childhood. My mom, I'm like, I was definitely a mama's boy. Um, my parents got divorced young. My dad split and was off being crazy on drugs and drinking. And me and my mom, you know, were best friends like mm-hmm. all growing up. And I had never, I never had any, I mean, my mom was young too. She had me. My mom had me pretty young, so we were we were really tight when I was a kid. And like the neighborhood kids would come over and be like, "Can y'all come out and play?" Like to me and my mom. Oh, like cool. me and my mom would come out and play or whatever. Um, so my mom was always she was always really supportive of me being kind of wild. And I had long hair as a kid, and you know, 
just you know just whatever kind of expressionist things I wanted to do like I wanted to get in I wanted to get mirror pierced when I was in like sixth grade mm-hmm. so my mom took me to the mall got an earring you know I go to school everybody calls me a faggot yeah you know and then the principal brings me in it's like you can't have this earring you got to take it out and I'm like I'm not taking it out like we're calling your mom they call my mom they hold me in the principal my mom comes down to the school they're like he's got to take it out and she's like why it's like you can't have it she's like you got rules against it? Let's see the rules. And they're like, can girls have their ear pierced? And they're like, well, yeah. It's like, well, then so can my son, unless you want to make this an I- make this a fucking issue. And we can. Go- and they're like, never mind, just go back to class. Do you think this philosophy, that's crazy. So she was like, do you think she's your muse? Uh, I mean, my mom's definitely always propelled me to do whatever I wanted to do. To be the best you can be? Yeah. I mean, she was... Also very naive and didn't know that I was on drugs when I was on drugs yeah, until yeah. later, you yeah, know, yeah. and didn't know and that I was... you kept on going to prison, though. Like, how does she not know? Is she very naive about that? I mean, I went to jail a bunch of times that she didn't know until later. Oh. Because she just get arrested and then you just get out. Like, oh. they call your mom when you go to jail. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to prison that many times. It is halftime at the Andy Fresco Interview Hour. Hello, I am Arno Bucker, and this is Staying Relevant with Arno Bucker. On today's segment, we will be analyzing the lyrical structure of the song Saving Myself for Jesus by Bert Cloud. Shall we get started? Honey, I feel your bone. I'd rather sit here all alone. You tell me that you love me? Don't try and corrupt me. I am saving myself for Jesus. You can titty-fuck me, tie me up, dry-hump me, and slap me in the face. I'll even let you call me mommy. He died upon the cross. Let me get my point across. My hymen belongs to Jesus. Honey, I'll roll over let you poke me in the back door. Oh, honey, I'll roll over and let you cram it in my back door. I ain't gonna be one of them Mary Magdalene whores. My pussy belongs to Jesus. Make no mistake. This lady, however her porch may be filled with cats and her back door may be open to the neighborhood, is referring to her arse, her asshole, her colon, butt, rectum, her pooper, bottom, kishkas, her brown star, boy, cunt, shithole, the posterior opening of her elementary canal. Most men are interested in rectal sex, for, however easily available on YouPorn and Pornhub, it's hard to find in real life. Could this be the reason for an ever-increasing following of the Bird Cloud Girls? See you next week in Staying Relevant with Arno Bakker. Did you have any, like, mentors that inspired you to, like... Basically, like it was kind of like the the night the nighting. Like, hey, I actually can fucking do this. I could actually be a professional artist. Well, I mean, I started tattooing, and um, I I very quickly into my career, I got to meet a guy who'd been tattooing a really long time. Who his name was Richard Stell. He moved to Dallas and opened a tattoo shop. And at the time, he was like the best tattoo artist around. Like he had a shop in Houston. Everybody knew who he was. And he moved to Dallas. And he opened a shop. So I started hanging out at that shop shortly after he hired me and like basically became my mentor and taught me how to tattoo. And, you know, then I learned like guest artists would come from other cities. 
he would go work in other shops in other cities and then they would come and work at his shop. So I met these artists that were coming from all around and pretty quickly into my career, like a guy from California came and worked at the shop and I met him. His name was Eric Mosky. He was like this guy that was like, I looked up to him as a tattoo artist when I was very young. And he was like, man, you should come out to California and come work at my shop for a week and hang out or whatever. And I'm like, I'm coming. Let when, tell me when I'll buy, you know? So, and then how old were you here? I was probably 22. Okay. So you're in it. 22, 23. First year of first year of actually professionally tattooing. Um, and so I learned a lesson right then that like, you know, you can do, you know, a lot of people, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to travel someday. I was like, well, someday is today. You know what I mean? Like you get an opportunity, you just seize that opportunity. Um, and so over the last 20 years, like I meet somebody, I go to a convention in London, you know, and I'm tattooing a convention in London. I meet a guy from Ireland, this guy, Ross Nagel from Ireland. He's like, Hey bud, you should come work at my shop in Ireland. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And I go to Ireland and then I meet somebody in Italy and they Hey, you should come to my shop. Okay. I'll do it. So whenever I meet somebody. So how many years did you do that for? I mean, I've been traveling. Still. Ta I still. <laughs> yeah. You're a fucking rock star, dude. I still travel nonstop. You still love it? I love it. I love to travel. I love going. But I tell people, like, people are like, oh, whenever anybody invites me to do something, I'm like, hey, if you invite me, I will show up. Because a lot of people are like, oh, you should do this. And then, you know, oh, I'd like to come see you someday. But I'll do it. You know, and then I've just, I've, I very purposely have made myself available to drop everything and be able to go fly by the seat of my pants. That's why I don't like, I have friends that are very famous, very busy, great booked up tattooers and they are booked up for a year or two solid. You lose your freedom. So when say somebody says, dude, we're going to get on our bikes and ride to Vegas. They're like, nah, I can't go. I got appointments for the next year. I'm like, let's go. I'll cancel my points and, and go, whatever. Um, so when I started getting busy and started getting booked up in advance, I started realizing like, man, this is going to stop me. I can do a tattoo when I get back. I don't need to do it tomorrow. And people are like, oh, I really want to get tattooed. I'm like, man, it's a tattoo. It's going to be there forever. You can get it later. Or you can get it. You can get somebody else to do it. Or I'll do it next week instead of this week, whatever the case. But, uh, you know, now that I'm, now that I'm filming this TV show, it's like a hard. How many years have you been doing hard that? Hard deadline. We're we're just about to film the 13th season. Of not, Masters? Not 13 years, 13 seasons. Because some years we've done two seasons. Holy fuck. That thing's been around for 13 years. No. Or th 13 seasons. seasons. Yeah. So it's like eight years it's been around? Yeah, it's been like eight years. So that, doing that project is like the hardest thing about it is on this day, I have to be in New York and I have yeah. to be there for two fucking months. It's fun and it's easy and it's a great job and we have a great time. But man, you know how much other cool shit's going on those two months that I have to say no to? <laughs> and I'm not used to that. Oh my God. So that's the hardest thing for me is is, is being nailed down to that schedule. Um, Do you think uh, happiness is flexibility and saying yes? hundred percent. I also think that uh, the biggest, 
it's hard to say, but not the same thing is going to make everybody happy. You have to be able to find what it is for you. For me, flexibility and being able to travel and being able to do, I mean, obviously, I do being able to do whatever you want should, you would think, hey, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. You should be happy now. Sometimes that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. You know, works for me, but it doesn't work. Doesn't work for everybody. You think it would, but it's it's very happiness is a very tricky thing. Um, I've always just been inherently happy, and I was like basically bred to be happy. My parents, my mom, and my grandparents were just very, very friendly and open and honest, happy people. So I just don't, I don't have any of the. Not ever like hiding who I am from anybody. Yeah. You know, but what about to yourself? I mean, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, it's very, I, I get very confused when, when people seemingly should be happy and they're not. You know, because I have some friends that are in situations where you think they have it all, but then they're just not happy. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, I'm not really that good at being a, at like figuring out what it is that they need. You know, because to me, I'm like, well, hey, just fuck it. Let's just go do this and have a good time. And then not whatever's whatever's you're worried about, quit worrying about it. Yeah. You know, do you think it's like more like lead lead by example? And see if that works for them. I've definitely seen it work for some and not work for others. Really? How so? I mean, I've just, some people, I don't know, some people just need something different. Yeah. Well, that goes back to like doing the Ink Masters and like, like what's it like to guide other people in your field trying to tell them how to make it? You know, that must be hard, right? Well, the as far as the Ink Master show, I mean, that's pretty much just like it's like this competition reality thing yeah. where it's like somebody does something and then I just like say it's good or say it's bad. Yeah. And I say whatever I personally feel about it. And I, you know, basically somebody does a tattoo. Yeah. I look at the tattoo. I talk for about 10 minutes and say everything good or bad about it that I think. And then a group, a team of people go and edit it and make it whatever the fuck they want it to be. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I have so much control yeah. over what I say, but it, in the end, it's their product to to market. What's, like, the biggest, like, you feel like, yeah, I really inspired this guy, to, and he's, like, blew up, or he's making art that you got him outside of the bubble of this. He thinks there's an idea of what tattooing should be, and you, it's like, it's like LSD. You're, like, the LSD to some of these... Well, there's been a few there's been a few young tattooers that we've that I've hired and brought to Dallas and worked at Elm Street and let them really their career started there. And Deep Ellum is a magical place and it's always been a busy place and it's busy for tattooing and a lot of tattoo shops a regular tattooer will do one or two tattoos a day, but you come to Elm Street, you're going to do eight or ten tattoos a day. Yeah. So if you do something ten times a day, you're obviously going to get better faster than mm-hmm. if you did it twice a day. So, the so it's numbers. People accelerate very quickly in that environment. It's a very 
positive push forward environment is I mean it can also be stressful it can also be taxing it can also be you know the crazy drunk people Friday at one in the morning that want some you know it can that that bar can be nerve-wracking but people we've had a, a couple of really really great young people come in and just become great tattooers really fast you know in in work in Elm Street and that's super cool to see. And then they go off because nobody stay, not, not everybody stays in one place forever. Yeah. You know, they come like I didn't stay in the same shop that I started at and people come, they, they grow. And then they, we have people coming from all over the country to work at Elm Street all the time. So they, same as them, they meet the guy that came from California and then they invite him to go to California yeah. and he goes to California. And then now they're out in the world fucking being awesome. How hard is it to say no to people's ideas? Nowadays, well, now you're I, popular. The, the so. first, the first ten years of tattoo, and I did whatever walked in the door. So what's somebody the walk in the door and just want some crazy shit? You just like, or lame shit, or bummer shit, or they just want a little line, or some people want one word. Some people want their signature, just like their grandmother wrote it, or some people want their arm style of black, or somebody wants, you yeah. know, who know, whatever people want. You just do it. Yeah. Nowadays, I say no more than I, you know. I get ten emails and I book two. Because the other eight people want something I'm not going to do. You want a tree? Nope. Next. You know. <laughs> so it's like that. Now. I have a list of things on the on the, and I'm like, nope, can't do it. It's on the list. They're like, what's the list? List of what? I'm like, list of shit I don't do. Yeah. What do you want to do? Uh, eagles. 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 Skulls. Daggers. Pinup girls. Hearts. Stuff like that. Do you think? Um, you know, going back to this, like, no trees, dude, no trees. <laughs> That's so funny. Isn't there a no venue clocks. called Trees in Dallas, too? There is. It's a great venue. Yeah. I saw Fire Hose there in 1989. Do you, to, <laughs> do you not go to Trees? I do. <laughs> we had our tattoo festival there two weekends ago. Oh, nice. So why? tell me about these uh, these tattoo conventions. Is it is it based... I'm just curious. Like, When did this shit start blowing up the way it did? Well, they Was started... the reality I mean, show you started? No. It was before that? I mean, the tattoo conventions started in the 70s yeah and a lot of people that don't know about tattoos or don't know about tattoo culture or don't know about the tattoo industry they have a they have the idea of a tattoo convention being like a flea market like oh there's a tattoo convention there's a hundred tattoo artists there i'm gonna go in there and i'm gonna get the best deal on a tattoo like it's a flea market yeah. that is not what a tattoo convention is no. a tattoo convention is the opportunity for someone who lives in dallas texas to get a tattoo from someone from Italy without having to fly, fly to Italy. Italy. Yeah. So the guy from Italy is not going to give you a cheaper tattoo. Yeah. You're actually going to pay more yeah. than you would if you went to the shop. Like you can go to a tattoo shop and get an $80 tattoo. Or you can go to a tattoo convention and pay the guy from Ireland $800 to get a tattoo and get a big tattoo that may be only be $500 if you went to the shop down the street. But that guy came from Ireland. Yeah, You know what I mean? So you, you saved... $1,800 not buying a ticket and a hotel and a rent a car and all this shit going to Ireland or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's the deal. You know, the big thing, the big idea of tattoo conventions is that to give people in Boston a chance to get tattooed from people in Texas without mm -hmm. having to go to Texas and whatever. So that being said, when you have a tattoo convention in Dallas and all the tattoo shops in Dallas go set up at that tattoo convention, what the fuck? Yeah. So my my convention that I put on is very small. Yeah. It's 30 tattooers from around the world and no local artist. 
No locals. You you handpick every yes, artist. But the, all the shops in Dallas that I know and I'm friends with, hey, can we get a booth? I'm like, no. Your shop is one mile down the street. Why do you want to pack up and come over here when you could just sit at your shop and do tattoos? Like this convention is for 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 the city. Do you it's change you. the artists every year? Yeah. So, wow. Fascinating. So how many people do you think you do? Like, how many people roll into this tattoo convention? Like, are you pumping these out? Like, each artist is pumping them out? or like? I mean, we have 30 artists at the convention, and they are busy, booked up all weekend. Cool. You know, so it's like there's not that many artists, but they're all busy. Mm -hmm. You go to another tattoo convention, there's 300 tattooers, and they're not all busy. Yeah. You know, because there's so many tattooers. You can only, you know, there's, and there's only so many public to go get tattooed. Yeah. And it's the same people that are working down the street anyway. So there's no real urgency to get tattooed from Jimmy because mm -hmm. you could go on Tuesday yeah. and go to a shop in Arlington and get tattooed by Jimmy. Yeah. But you got Ross Nagel from Ireland here right now. Here's your window. You better get it these three days. What's the craziest impromptu thing you've done because you had nothing to do? Uh, One day, uh, me and my best me and my best friend Jeff Milburn, we had been talking about riding our motorcycles to California. Yeah, and we were like, ah, oh, we got to plan this trip. We got to drive to California, you know, blah blah blah. And then you know, we didn't think we didn't talk about it again for a couple weeks or whatever. And then one day we we're at lunch, and we were like, man, what's your calendar look like? When can you go? And I looked at my calendar and I was like, man, I don't know, I got so much shit going on. Unless we go today, <laughs> he's like, well, I can go today. And we finished our sandwich and went. I went home, grabbed the backpack. He went home, grabbed the backpack, got our bikes, and rode to California. <laughs> What's the longest? What the <laughs> fuck? Are you serious? Yeah. But that's such, that's so Buddhist. That's just like living in the moment. That's yeah. like, wow. Oh, that's pretty tight. What's the longest trip you've done on a, on a bike? Well, I, we ride a lot. We, uh, I've ridden to both coasts. Every year for the last 10 years. And how many hours do you do a day? Uh, depends on what you're doing. Sometimes, I mean, I've definitely done a bunch of thousand mile days and then I've done a bunch of hundred mile days. Have you ever eaten shit on, on a bike? A bunch. Yeah? Yeah. What was the worst one? Uh, well, a couple of years ago, we were riding across um, the top of the country and I had my girlfriend on the back and we crashed in Wyoming. And just, just just exploded and flew all over the highway. It was wild. Do what, what, you ever get in an accident that makes you want to quit? Not yet. <laughs> I mean, I have, I've crashed a bunch of bikes, but always, you know. You say you don't like fucking pain, dude. That's fucking painful, Yeah, dude. it is. But, I mean. What can you do? I don't like pain, but I'm not going to not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not do something in fear of getting hurt. Yeah. Well, it's like anything in life, right? It, yeah. It's like saying yes to things with, before saying no, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out because I say yes too much. And then I like, I, and then I get in this trap. Like now, I'm booked until 2022. Yeah. And you know, then I have no freedom to go, you know, chase pussy or like fucking, you know, go on a fucking trip. You know, I've always wanted to go do the Jesus walk. You know, like in in Spain or you know, and like, and I don't have time to do that anymore. And it's like. You you take a step back and you figure out what you want to do. And if you're like, I'm obsessive compulsive too. Like I will fucking, I want to be a musician. 
I haven't left the road for 14 years. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, is that, is Ben like that too? Does he love the road? I would say 100%. Yeah. I mean, I started, I mean, that's a whole, the, the Ben thing is a whole different story. I mean, they are, he is, they're true musicians, man. They, Sarah. Yeah. yeah, they just, uh, I mean, I've been on tour with them many, many times, and they are, they are just, they will hit hard. They will hit hard where, you know, just literally falling out of the tour bus, puking drunk, and then fucking the best show of their life the next night, and then the next night, and then the next night. You ever travel with them? A lot. A lot. Uh, many t- over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of touring with them. Um, I've done a lot of touring with a lot of bands. I was on the Warp Tour for like f- five or six years. I did the Warp Tour every year. I was on the Warp Tour for five years. What too. years did you do it? I did it um, 04 through 07. I was there. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. But what wasn't the, the worst part of the Warp Tour was when you had the two o'clock slit set in fucking Pomona. And it's fucking hot. Oh, man. So what were you doing over there? I was tattooing. At Warp Tour? Yeah, I had a tour bus with a tattoo shop inside the tour bus. Whose idea was this? Mine. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. And all the punk bands. That was when like they had the really good punk bands. It was great. So in 05, I went, a buddy of mine who works for me now, his name's Aaron Finnan, he was tour managing a band called Matchbook Romance. I know Matchbook Romance. Fuck, that band was dope. Okay, so he's tour managing them. They can't. They wanted. He had. He's totally blasted tattoos by me. They all wanted to get tattooed. So he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, this band I'm working for. They all want tattoos. You should come out and tattoo them on the tour bus." So I came out on Warp Tour, set up in the back lounge, tattooed for like five days, tattooed everybody in the band, tattooed everybody. All these people on tour that want to get tattooed. Time came for me to leave tour, and I was like, "All right, I'm going home." So many people want to get tattooed, and they're like. Stay longer. I was like, man, I got, I got a plane ticket. I got to fly home from fucking Chicago or wherever the fuck we are. And they're like, stay four more days till Milwaukee or, or till whatever, and we'll buy you a plane ticket home from there. If you stay, we'll all get tattooed. Everybody will chip in and buy you another plane ticket. I was like, okay, cool. So I stay on the bus, keep tattooing another couple of days, get to whatever city, going to fly home. Ten more people want to get tattooed. Stay more. We'll buy you another plane ticket. Stay again. So then... You end up on the whole we get to we get to the, to the end. I've been now I've been on tour for like three weeks, and I'm like, I gotta go home. I just gotta go home. I gotta do some shit. I gotta pay rent. I gotta do these things. Back then, I just like, were we, you making money on these tattoos? Lots or? of money. It's fucking awesome. So all these kids on Warp Tour, they play 45 minutes a day, and the rest of the time they're just sitting around yeah. in the tour bus with nothing to do other than play PlayStation. And all this money, they have nothing, nothing to even spend money on. And that's when they like that was when they were like slamming three bands in one bus, yeah. right? Nah, just, I mean the big, you know, Matchbook well, so had their own Matchbook bus. Matchbook was. I used makes, to work for Drive Through Records, yeah. So I did the Drive Through stage, all those bands. So I was like, I got to go home for at least a couple days. I'm like, well, then fly back out. And so I was like, all right, cool. And Matchbook was leaving the tour, and MXPX was staying on the tour. And my, I had met Mike and. Tom and Yuri, and they're like, you can come tattoo on our bus. So I flew back out, met back up with Warp Tour, got on tattooed on the MXPX bus for a week. And the end of the week, time to go home. Everybody's like, stay longer. So I bought another plane ticket, stayed longer, ended up doing the whole rest of the tour. And I fucking, you know, there's yeah, Warp Tour is big, a lot yeah. of bands. Plus, there's 
about six to 800 people that just work on the Warped Tour. Tour. Yeah. Building stages, building lights, building sound, building booths, driving trucks, buying, driving buses, doing catering. You know, there's like 40 employees yeah. that do catering. I tattooed all of them. You know, everybody. So, damn, you were the Warped Tour. The end, the end of that summer, I come home and I'm like, we've got to get a tour bus and put a tattoo shop in it and go on Warped Tour. So I talked to these two buddies of mine. We buy this tra- buy this big race car trailer thing, build a tattoo shop in it, show up on Warped Tour the next year. And uh, I had made friends with Kurt Soto from Vans. Yeah. And he was like, come on out. You can, we'll give you passes, laminates. You'll be on the tour with Vans or whatever. So um, Kevin Lyman was kind of against it, but then he got, he was into it. So then he finally was okay with it. What's he like? That's the guy who owned, that runs the Warped Tour, right? Yeah. Whole nother story. Yeah. Whole nother long story we won't get into. Okay. Um, but Lisa Brownlee, the girl that was his, the main tour manager of all Warped Tour, yeah. greatest woman ever. Yeah. Um, she uh, set us up and then, Every year from for the next four years, we had a tour bus on Warp Tour. So, do you think that's how really like kind of like jump started you being like you're kind of the tattoo artist of all these fucking musicians, dude? Man. I tattooed every fucking band on Warp Tour, and then so I met everybody from all these bands that I love. Fucking tattoo the Alkaline Trio guys, love Alkaline Trio. Yeah. they're like so now Warp Tour's over, and they're going on a tour through the fucking Midwest. I'm like fuck it, I'm going on tour with Alkaline Trio. Boom, went on tour with Alkaline Trio. Then I meet tattoo the fucking after driving guys, I tattoo these guys, I tattoo those guys, I tattoo, you know, and then I'm just doing all these tours. I went on tour with MXPX a bunch. I went on tour with, and but all this time, my favorite band is Lucero. Fucking awesome. They weren't even a Warped Tour band. No, they weren't. And nobody in Warped Tour knew who they were. But at the end of the night, when we were breaking down and loading up the trailer, we jammed Lucero. And my buddy, Jimmy Perlman, who was managing, he managed Saves the Day for a seat one yeah, year. He managed dude. Thursday one year. Me and him were hanging out all the time. We love Lucero. So then, like 2000 and maybe 2008 or nine or something comes along. He calls me up. He's like, I just got to get, I just got a gig tour managing Lucero. And I was like, we're in. Oh, so you didn't know those guys? You just loved their music? Yeah. And so then, shut the fuck up. I had met Ben at a, at a revival tour show. What Jimmy was on, but Jimmy got the gig tour managing Lucero, and I was like, "That's it, going on tour with Lucero." So the next like however many years, every year, I would just at least at least a week or more of their Lucero tour. Every tour they went on, I would go on it, and uh, either ride on the bus with them and tattoo in the bus, or bring my own trailer, own RV with the tattoo shop in it, and follow them on tour. I followed them on tour when they were on tour with Against Me and Dropkick Murphys and a bunch of other bands. And so, you know, when there's two or three bands on a tour together, there's like five members in each band. There's like three or four crew members of each band. There's like, you know, there's like 20, 30 people to tattoo. So two or three people a day for a couple of weeks. Busy, busy. Um, And I'm the only person that has... I have a tattoo from every member of Lucero, even past members that aren't in the band anymore. What did what? Yeah. So what did John what what tattoo did John C get? He just you? wrote John C. <laughs> what about Ben? He did the star with the L in it. Oh, cool. Wow. 
That's so cool, man. So you're like a super fan. You're like a groupie. Yeah. I also have this, when I was on Warp Tour, I would get tattooed from all the people that were my favorite on the tour. Really? So I've got tattoos from all the guys in the Bronx. All Who, the guys. Who's the best artist out of all the bands? There's not even, there's not about being an artist because it's just, they're basically people's names. Like signing a cast. Shut the fuck up. My Are whole you arm is just littered with bullshit. So rad, dude. I call it the party arm, party tats. So we'd have, we would just set up machines and everybody would just tattoo each other party style late at night. And you're completely sober. Oh, yeah. I love this shit so much, Oliver. So it's just like, Oh, dude. Yeah, look at all the names. Oh, look, it's perfectly like no one's touching that area. No shit. That's badass. So what do you think it is? What What do you love about people permanently? Is it the memories you love? Definitely. And I have a terrible memory, so it helps me remember. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, this has been such a great interview. Can I? Let's leave with this one. Also, I, I'm gonna get a tattoo from you. One of the, I'm gonna do it now that we did the podcast. That'd be <laughs> fucking awesome. That, I want a memory. I think people of this. are gonna listen to this and not even gonna know what happened because we didn't even stay on any topic for it's more okay. than like this, one minute. It's just ADD. <laughs> that's my life. You know? oh. No, that's why we're gonna we're, we're gonna mark it on me. part one. Part one. Yeah, I mean, I'm down to do this again. Um, <laughs> what do you want to be remembered by, man? When it's all said and done. Well. I also have this philosophy of when it's all over, you can burn it all to the fucking ground because mm -hmm. I'm gone. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't, I don't think that, uh, the idea of like a, a monument to somebody that's dead is, is something that doesn't make much sense to me because that person's gone and they don't know that it's there, you know, and most people get celebrated. Most of the greats get celebrated after they're dead, especially in the art, in art, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, very few people, that are artists get recognized while they're still, I mean, rock stars, musicians, mm -hmm. but like, as far as like artists, you know? Um, so it, to me, it's about living in the moment and just enjoying every minute that I'm here. And like I said, when it's over, burn it all to the fucking ground. If, if <laughs> fucking punk rock as fuck, dude, <laughs> Oliver, that's awesome. So like, if you want, if you could give uh, advice to, 21 year old Oliver who just got out of his fourth fucking jail, you know, his fourth jail ride. What would you tell him if he wants to be an artist now that you've been an artist for so many years? What would be the advice you'd give him? I don't know what I would do different. Um, I feel like I already, I feel like I took that advice already. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, I would say, um, I don't know. Live like there's no tomorrow. That's it. Fucking rock and roll, That's what dude. I say. I, my advice to most young people in general, not, you know, is uh, don't get a girl pregnant. Yeah, yeah I tell that. I tell my audience every, at, at the end of every show, wear a condom. Do not. You had kids? A girl pregnant. I do not have any kids. Dude, you, I, told, I knew you were the fucking unicorn, dude. No kids. Yeah, unfortunately do you for have me. you baby phobia? I don't like kids. Yeah. Never had, like, what about, like, does that force you not to have relationships with girls? Well, the my, my very amazing and wonderful girlfriend I have now, we've been together for over nine years, mm -hmm. um, 
she also does not want kids. Um, and that was, that was like one of the first clicks that we had, that we got, you know, that I, that we saw in each other. Um, I was married for a very, for a little while. It was a terrible experience. Um, with who? A terrible drug addict, abusive person. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible, I mean, I hate, I, I always said I was never going to get married. And you did it. And then I did it, and it was the worst idea. And so I tell everybody, don't fucking get married. <laughs> um, my girlfriend, she also was married and is divorced. And so. Why not get married, though? It's a uh, we are we how much we time got we got time we could cut we could cut we could cut down the bullshit I mean yeah. you got time I uh my flight's at six a.m. I personally I don't be- I just don't I don't I don't I don't believe in it yeah me either. and I would say that um it is a it is modern society is not conducive to the institution of the stereotypical idea of marriage people feel forced. And people feel pressured by their families or their religion or their culture or the movies they grew up watching as a kid to fall in love and have children and get and get married. Um, but man, and everybody's like, well, my grandparents stayed married for 80 years. And I'm like, yeah, and they were miserable. <laughs> it's true. And they didn't have your your grandmother didn't have her own car. Yeah. Your grandmother didn't have a fucking cell phone. Yeah. You know, your grandmother didn't do anything but cook your grandfather dinner every night her yeah. whole life. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the truth. Like, my grandparents were great. I love them. They loved each other. They stayed married until the day they died. And my grandmother was basically an indentured servant, and it's sad. Do you think? My- but maybe she's not sad because she was happy because that's what she, that that's was all her she life. Knew. That was all she knew. And that's fine. She she loved it, and she was happy, and she you know whatever it is. But the girl you meet at the bar next week is not going to be like my grandmother. Yeah, she's not going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, this ain't going to happen. Yeah, times have changed. Have you ever convinced someone not to get married, and they didn't do it? A couple times, but I also have had a thousand people say, "You were right. I shouldn't have done it." <laughs> Because, I mean, for a decade, solid decade, I've been telling everybody that I can get near, do not fucking do it. Yeah. And they fucking just get divorced and fucking... I'm, I'm on, I've been on a hard, hard, hard wedding boycott uh-huh. for, like, probably t- over 10 years. Yeah. Like, people invite me to a wedding. I'm like, not going. I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, not going to be there. No way. I'm on a wedding boycott. My little brother got married. Didn't go. On a wedding boycott. You didn't go to your little brother's wedding? Can't. Bro, really? I, don't, I don't want a boycott. Okay, but hold and on. And my brother says, why can't you come? I said, I'm on a boycott. He goes, well, can't you make an exception? I'm like, unfortunately, that's not how boycotts work. <laughs> Did, was he offended? I don't know if offended is the right word. He's definitely bummed out. Yeah. My stepmom was bummed out. It's my yeah. half-brother. I don't have any real brothers. I have a half-brother from my mom and a half-brother from my dad. But, uh, yeah, I was like, can't do it. You are a real motherfucker, dude. Can't do it. You're a real dude. They got guy that's one of my best friends worked for me for many years. Asked me to be the best man, and I said, "Best man, I'm not even going to be there." <laughs> Are you serious? Serious to heart attack. So, but this is like the same thing going back to anything. Like you put your mind in that this is what I want to do, and this is my. So, are you stubborn? Mm, I'm. I'm pretty. Uh, 
you'd have to ask somebody else what they think about that. I de- if I say I'm going to do something, i definitely do it. Mm-hmm. If I say I'm not going to do something, i definitely don't fucking do it. Yeah. You know, so if I say I'm not going to go to a wedding, I ain't going to a fucking wedding. Mm-hmm. If I say I'm going to quit doing drugs, I'm going to quit doing fucking drugs. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. Um, my grandfather did say, you know, you're, you're only as good as your word. If your word ain't worth shit, you ain't worth shit. And mm-hmm. I remember that from when I was like eight years old. And I'm just like... And they got to respect you for fucking... You know, you try to tell them not to get fucking married. I'm not going to... You're not going to fake that you're going to like this thing. Well, along when I was probably 28 years ago or something, one of my best friends got married to this horrible, horrible, wretched soul. You know, as worthless as a person can be. Got married to this girl. And I was mm-hmm. like, do not get married to this bitch. He's like, I love her. I'm like, whatever, dude. Do not do it. He goes, and he's like, plan it and ask me to be the best man. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to fucking be there. Fuck this bitch. And he's like, bro, you're my best friend. I love you. I need you to just be there for me because we're tight. And I said, all right, brother, I love you. I will be there for you. And I did it. And then they had the worst marriage. And she was a soul-sucking bitch. And she fucked him over. Robbed him of all his money. Fucked a bunch of other dudes behind his back. Fucking left him in the dirt. And and ruined his fucking life. And I was a part of it. Yeah. And I was like, I will never be a part of that again. Wow. So like, what so you- if my friend, who I really care about, wants money to buy heroin with, I'm not going to give him money yeah. to buy heroin Same with. Because I don't believe that he should be doing heroin. So if you want to get married, I'm not a part of it because I don't think it's going to work out. What about when they say that they want to have kids? You're not part of that either. You don't, I don't say don't do it. it. I you say don't, don't do it either. I've, hey, I've never, I've never changed a diaper my whole life. Never gonna. You're never have, never will. I had, here's the thing. Me and my girlfriend share this in common. I, my mom got remarried when I yeah. was like 11. Yeah. Had a baby when I was like he was like he was born when I was like twelve or thirteen or something. So when he was going to first grade, I was starting high school. So we we're like that distance, that far apart. And uh, living in the house with a baby is the worst fucking thing. <laughs> now I understand when you have a child and it's your flesh and blood that you shit out and you love it. Yeah, you care about it. So it's everything it does is special. Oh my god, look at it! It. It moved its finger. It's amazing. It's a miracle. I'm like, it's not a miracle. Every rat in a fucking alleyway shits out babies every fucking day. It's not a miracle. It's just nature. Yeah. Don't get, don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> so anyway, living in a house with a fucking baby is miserable. Yeah. So I'm a teenager. Fucking baby's crying all yeah. fucking night, screaming, puking, throwing up, pissing, shitting, fucking all over the place. Just a fucking rat. Yeah. All over the house. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, I'm fucking asleep. I'm fucking 13, 14 years old. Fucking little rat child over here screaming his fucking head off. I fucking go in there, pick a baby up by the leg, walk across the house, go in the bed and throw it in the bed and like, your baby's crying, you know, and leave it. <laughs> so then the kid gets to be a little bit older. Like I had no love for this child until it was like old enough for rational thought at yeah. all. Like my parents are like, we're going to the store. You got to watch Matthew for a little bit. And I'm like, I'm not watching the kids. Like you got to watch the kid. So they left. I put the, I put the kid in the laundry hamper locked the laundry hamper, went in the TV room, put the TV on real loud and fell asleep. So they come home. Matthew's in there crying, locked in the laundry hamper. 
and I'm fucking asleep on the couch. And they're all mad at me. I'm like, what are you mad at me for? You left the kid in the house with me. <laughs> She's mad at yourself. Have you ever had a pregnancy scare? Huh? Have you ever had a pregnancy scare? A few times, but it was bo- they were bogus. What do you mean? Like just girls, girls claiming trying to get pregnant. some money. No, not really get money. Just like claiming they're pregnant when they weren't. Oh, just to scare you into like committing. Just to be like, we break up and like, well, I'm pregnant. I'm like, what? Oh no! And then they're not. So how do you know that they're not? Well, you'd get a test. You t- test them. I mean, there was never a baby. Oh, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver, wow, I've learned a lot. Because I have a commitment phobia. I've never had a relationship ever. So my girlfriend, I was saying we have this common. She is the oldest of three of a Mexican family living in El Paso. She has three younger brothers. Their mom, deadbeat mom, shit out and disappeared on dope. So she was the mother to these kids, especially her youngest brother, who's like 10 years younger than her. So she basically raised this kid. She's already been a mom. Yeah. She ain't going to do it again. Yeah. So she's like, she's already been married. So she doesn't have that fantasy of, oh, get to be married, get to have that one day that's special on me, get to walk down the aisle where everybody's looking at me because I'm the special day, you know, whatever bullshit and fairy tale dream that is. Yeah. And then she also has already raised children. So she doesn't have that. She's already used up that. So she's the perfect woman. Yeah. So now she doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to have kids. She likes to ride motorcycles. She's cool with you just, like, doing your impromptu, like, hey, I gotta get out. And she gets out sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, hey, let's go. We travel a lot together. We do a lot of things together. We, I mean, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, you just gotta, you know, I've had a lot of... What's the key to a good relationship? Trust is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Trust. Trust, 100%. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than trust. If you don't trust someone... Don't waste your fucking time. Yeah. Don't waste your fucking time. Don't waste five minutes. So that goes with relationships. Any relationship? Any relationship. Trust. Trust is all trust is the only only thing that matters at all. Like I trust her, she trusts me. If she don't trust me, then what's the use? Well, thanks for trusting me to do this interview, buddy. Hey man. I appreciate it. Thank all right. you. Um keep yeah, it positive. Keep it positive. Don't have fucking kids. Wear condoms, goddammit. If you don't wear condoms, you don't want to have a kid, it's actually going to happen. I'm telling you, man. Especially with all these abortion laws that are coming out. I'm like, just saying, just if you want, if you think that you want to have kids, then plan for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't just accidentally buy a car and can't afford the payment. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like, one day I just woke up and there was this Cadillac in the driveway and I can't afford the payment now. Yeah. Like, you want to go out of Cadillac? Okay. Get yeah. a job. Save up the money. Buy a Cadillac. Make the payments. You want to have a kid? Be responsible. Don't just accidentally have a kid because ah, it's the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, let's get the fuck out of here. Oliver, thanks for being on the show, dude. And uh, have fun with Ben. And um, I'm recording with John C. actually next month. So in Memphis. So do you ever hang out in Memphis? I'm going there on Saturday. So you're driving up, riding my motorcycle. Tattooing at Bluff City Tattoo. Brian Venables, partner in the shop. Hanging out with John C., Joe Brown, all the guys. We'll have fun with that. And uh, thanks for being on the show, buddy. Hell yeah. Thank you. What's up, everybody? Kyle Ayers here again. Remember, I am running for president of the United States. And I want to let you know a little bit about my platform. Here's a big thing on Kyle's platform. You, uh, You know when you're shopping and someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, hey, do you need some help with anything? And you say no. 
If that person comes back up and asks you if you need help again, you can kill them. You can legally kill them. That is my platform. The, what could have changed in the 10 seconds? You're looking at socks. What could have changed? Why come back up? Why come back up? Why would you, why, are you sure you don't need, I know how socks work. I'm just looking for some, and look, let, let's be honest, we're at a department store. No one's been in here in 20 years. I'm not gonna buy anything. I'm killing time until Annie Ann's pretzels opens up. So just leave me, but that's, that's my platform. If someone approaches you twice while you're shopping and asks you if you need help, after the second time, fair game. Think of it like a retail purge. All right, and there we have it. Thank you, Oliver, for uh, being on the show. Fucking killer. That we got one of the best uh, tattoo artists on the planet on the show. It's nice to see his philosophy on how art is and how... He's fucking riding motorcycles with the boys from Lucero. It's fucking tight. Then we had Gator on the show, my boy. He's he's a fucking great dude. Uh, oh, I love. I feel bad. He just got out of a relationship with a girl for eight years, and um, you know, the man needs to bust a nut. So anyone, get this man some pussy if you can. Just he's such a good guy. Um, if it's short term, awesome. If it's long term, even cooler. But get this man's dick wet if we can, uh, world-saving fam. But that's it, guys. You know, this is the last day on tour with Pigeons. This is the last day, basically. I got two more shows. When this records, we just have one more show. That's uh, November 8th on the podcast. Um, not on the podcast. What am I talking? I'm so tired and delusional. I did cocaine last night, guys. I got I to gotta tell you. I did some cocaine last night. Yeah, I was partying, fucking partying, and I feel it today. It's uh, my head hurts, and I realize what I do. You know, uh, I know that I don't like doing it. So, but what can you do? I was having fun. Can't fucking judge yourself over a little relapse, a little black. <laughs> you know, just get back on the horse tomorrow, and you know, get back on your routine. But uh, November eighth. Yeah, dude, Boston's crazy, dude. Every time I go to Boston, I have this weird, fucked up experience. You know, I don't know if it's the juju that they know that I'm a Laker fan and I'm just repping Lakers all day. Like, I did the Levitate Music Festival. People were pissed off that I was just being obnoxious. I think they're pissed because I'm a Laker fan. And uh, that's how it's going to be, boys. So we're going to have this relation together, Boston. We're going to love each other, okay? We're going to accept our feelings towards each other's communities and we're just gonna have a great time together so shout out to boston for bringing the cocaine last night because that was a lot of fun and whatnot but sp speaking of cocaine we are gonna be in glen falls new york i don't know if there's cocaine in glen falls but november 8th wild adriotics festival they called the summit we're playing on the 9th but i'm flying in a day early uh and whatnot uh to go hang out with the boys and shit I'm finishing the record, which I'm stoked on. I fly to L.A. after that for like seven days and um, fucking finish the record, mix it, get it done so we can get it out there by, you know, hopefully the beginning of the year if Brian gets us a record deal. Brian, get us a record deal. No, record deals are bullshit. Get a debrushing deal. That's where I think where it's going to be at. Um, fuck. Oh, yeah, dude. I... I'm having bad luck with houses, guys. I'm having horrible luck. This is the fourth house I've put on contract in Denver. 
and uh, now we found out there's a fucking there's a leak in the basement, and now we had to we had to terminate our closing. I feel like the universe is telling me not to go to fucking Denver, Colorado. I really do. It's like I've had four. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a bitch about all this. Um, I just don't have enough time to fuck around. Come on, universe, get me a house, get me a dove house. Um, so now I don't know what the fuck to do for the next couple months. I might. I don't want to stay on anyone's couch. I'm doing that for fucking ever. I think I might rent a pad in New York for the month of December uh, in the city. Um, or, I don't know, maybe try Denver, maybe L.A. I'm kind of in limbo right now. kind of feels weird because I don't have anywhere to go. I'm not saying, like, oh, boo-hoo. It's kind of exciting, too. Like, I'm, I'm in Chicago. I'm hanging out with some friends. Maybe the universe is telling me to go hang out with people that you care about and don't get stuck. If you feel like you're stuck... The universe will give you signs that make you, you know, like Lau says, take your brain off the microscope and look around you, you know, own that shit. I've been going to therapy and it's been kicking ass, dude. I've been kicking ass and, you know, just listening and like opened me up. I thought I was fucked up. I thought I was damaged goods. But, um, you know, I thought I was just born with some fucked up shit. No, it's like, no, it was just how I was raised. You know, it's like, and uh, I'll get into that later on. I don't really want, all right, it's this closing segment, but uh, I really, really love therapy. And this it's only my third session, so I could, they, I could start hating once he starts getting deeper into my life, but um, it's really helping me out. Don't be afraid, there's a weird stigma about therapy. Don't be scared to do therapy, guys. Seriously. If you're feeling bad, you know, like, I was thinking about, I'm like, what are the pros and cons? Cons, yeah, it's 200 bucks an hour. Okay, cool. But I've spent way worse shit on $200. You know, like, I fuck, dude. I've, ugh, I've bought a lot of dumb shit with 200 bucks. So, like, if you're going to spend 200 bucks on yourself, it's like, uh, you know, getting your nails done or fucking getting a massage, you know? You got to get your brain massage in there. So find a therapist if you guys are feeling like you can't talk to anyone about shit because I, I felt like that too, and... It really helped me out. So, shout out to my therapist. I don't want to put him on blast, but uh, we'll we'll definitely talking more about what he's analyzing on me on publicly because that's how I am. But uh, it was great. I love New York, man. PlayStation Theater, Boston was fucking tight with pigeons. We we kind of talked about it. Gator, we all dressed up as wrestlers. It was just fucking badass. I just man, I'm. I'm 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 having a different perspective on on life these days and you know I don't want to I don't want to dread the little shit anymore you know like I'm such a neurotic fucking person you know I, I blame the, my Jewish heritage for that but and you know dadly speaking you know these you know the Jews gone through a lot of shit but you know that's a, that's on a different topic as well so I'm just trying to let go of that shit and just trying to enjoy the moment, hang out with your friends. You know, when you're feeling sad, figure out why you're feeling sad. Don't just let it fester and whatnot. But um, I'm just talking now, guys. I'm tired. Uh, I've been on the road for three and a half months or fucking forever. Don't know what I'm going to do with my free time. Um, if you guys have any ideas, maybe we'll go mm, snowboarding or something. I don't fucking know. Maybe go fucking surf, get a hobby. But um, I'm liking how everything's going. My career's going well. Howard Stern was dope as fuck. Shout out to everyone who listened to me on the wrap-up show. It was a good time talking with Gary. They called me the Pussy Hunter. That's my nickname for the Howard Stern show. 
Andy the Pussy Hunter Frasco. I don't know how I feel about it yet. It's, I feel like it's a, a, a Me Too waiting to happen. The Pussy Hunter attacked me. I'm hoping that's not, I got to keep my dick in my pants until the, the Pussy Hunter um, theme name <laughs> it gets out of the way. But I hope you had fun on the show. We got uh, we got my boy uh, Jesus from Lettuce on the show next week. I'm a, a very fascinating interview, fascinating life, and fascinating outlook on life. Like he's a good guy, and I'm I'm really excited for you to hear that interview with Jesus. Um, and who else we got? We got Marco Benevento on the show. We got Todd Berry, comedian. We got a couple comedians. Um, we got, and then the grand finale. I just locked this down. I know Short's going to be like, don't fucking say it until you do the interview, but it's going down. I got Judd Apatow. We're interviewing Judd Apatow. We're talking about his life. It's happening, guys. This is fucking crazy. This podcast is it's changing lives, and I just thank you so much for fucking letting me uh, figure out my life via public space. <laughs> so shout out to everyone uh, with me on the ride. It's going to be great. We got... I can't believe it's almost December. I don't have that many shows. I'm playing China for New Year's. Don't really have anything to promote this month. Um, just a lot of interviews, uh, a lot of a lot of people uh, talking about their life, and I can't wait to just get to know each other. And I'm learning a lot of new tricks from this therapist, you know, because he's analyzing me, and I'm studying his analyzation so I can analyze people. Oh man, maybe, so maybe I'm like kind of going to school too while he's trying to figure out. Um, wh- how my brain is in such a, a knot right now. Um, but shout out to the, the therapist once again. But ladies and gentlemen, that's it for now. Um, I'll leave you with this. Um, life's short. You never know when it's your turn to leave the party. You know, look what Gator said. He thinks about, you know, takes for advantage or takes for granted. You know, you know it's scary. You're living in a vessel a metal vessel and you're you're trusting your bass player or your fucking drummer to drive you around through the night, you know, doped up on Adderall and coffee and fucking Taco Bell, you know. It is scary, dog. So take advantage of any you never know what's going to happen. So take advantage of every second you have in this life, you know. If you need to if you feel like you need to get better, get better. Feel like you need to take less drugs, take less drugs. Stop fucking randoms, whatever it is. Wear condoms if you are going to fuck randoms. You know, whatever it is that's gonna, that you feel you need to do to get you back to who you used to be, fucking do it. All right, guys. Love you. Comb your hair. I'm looking at myself in the mirror right now. My hair is gross. I still have beer in it from last night. I got to learn how to take showers at night and not let the beer just marinate in my fucking fro. Uh, but yeah, take a... Take care of yourselves, wear condoms, comb your hair. Arno, give me something nice and sweet for the people all to uh, listen to until I get to talk to them next week. All right, love you guys. Well, thank you for listening to episode 64 of Andy Fresco's World Saving Podcast. Produced by Andy Fresco, Joe Angel, and Chris Lawrence. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and Spotify so we can make this a worldwide phenomenon. For info on the show, please head to our Instagram, World Saving Podcast. For more info on the blog and tour dates, head to andyfresco.com. Gotta remind you to change your pace. It will change your life. Go have a listen to that album. This week's guest is Oliver Peck from the show Ink Master. Find it online at the Paramount Network or on their YouTube channel. 
Our special co-host is Gator from Pigeons Playing Ping Pong. Yes, pigeonsplayingpingpong.com. This week's special guests were Sean Eccles, Andy Avila, Ari Feindlings, Kyle Ayers, and Arno Bakker. I gotta run. We're hosting a Roots Festival at a local venue named Take Root, with 24 bands in 8 hours and plenty of good American folk coming in. Robert Ellis, Doug Seegers, Drive-By Truckers, too many to name. We'll have beer and burgers. I don't expect fresco-like situations, but all that craziness is pretty unique anyway, we all know that. Today, there will be good clean foot tapping, hip swaying, and an occasional yee So, see you next week, folks!